0: You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio. This is The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio, and this is Mark. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak with someone who will deny and argue the adjectives I'm about to describe this competitor with. Dominant, steadfast, enduring, overcoming, tenacious. And the thing about it is she, yes, I said she, does it all gracefully. That is without bravado or ego involved in any of it. But you need only to step back And look at the way she races, her approach to the sport of endurance mountain bike racing, and actually her approach to many sports, as she is definitely not limited to just that one sport by any means. And you realize it's her approach and perspective and her personality that keeps you from seeing those descriptors while she races or when you talk to her in person. But step back a little bit and look at the results especially over the past two to three seasons in the National Ultra Endurance Series, as well as outside of it in other endurance off-road races, and you see a quiet and stealthy dominance. Brenda Simrel is the defending Kenda National Ultra Endurance Series Open Women's Champion, and results will say she has definitely won with pretty good odds to repeat that title. Lee Simrel, Brenda's husband, who is certainly no slouch himself when it comes to these races and is a well-sought-after coach, who actually coaches several of the racers you hear mentioned on the top of the standings and podiums right here on this show, joined us with some great perspectives on the racing and how he and Brenda prepare for these events. So I had a chance to talk to Brenda and Lee over the past holiday weekend, and we had Great conversation, occasionally interrupted only slightly by some canine activity, both theirs and mine, and a few distant explosions as we actually chatted in the early evening hours of July 4th. We started, as we usually do, with finding out how he came into this beautiful but more than a little bit nutty sport of long-distance endurance racing. Lee and Brenda Simrel, uh you guys have had more than a little bit interesting and eventful season so far. <laughs> um, everything from race wins um, to keeping your local sports medicine doc and orthopedist able to keep their bi-monthly trips to the Caribbean cottages going. You've had a few setbacks, plenty of podium spots between the two of you with Brenda now leading the NUE standings in the women's opens division. And I have a bunch of questions regarding all the events of this year and last um, certainly, how you got past some of those setbacks, how you've gotten to where you're at. But before we delve into all of that, welcome to the last aid station. And um let's talk about how you guys came to endurance mountain bike racing. Would assume that there's a common path that everyone takes. Um, but as we've learned from my other interviews, that's not the case. So starting with Lee, how did you get to racing 100 mile or similar events uh off-road? Hey, Mark. Hey, hey how are you? Great. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Um you know, um, I, I guess I guess I would think, you know, it started off just by, you know, having a what I would consider a normal active childhood. I um, started off on the the swim team as a kid, and then um, had a couple of. I have two older brothers who ran track in high school and college, track and cross country, and uh, so I always saw that as an option, even though I. Chose to play soccer in college. Um, always knew that that was there for me if I wanted it. So um, after swimming and soccer, I uh, started running track. And actually, the last two years of college, I ran uh, track and and um, right after college, got into triathlon and and did that for a few years. And then uh, did road racing. And had a a friend in Chattanooga who was uh, friends with Mark Linsky, who was one of the owners of Lightspeed Titanium Bicycles, and, and uh, we took a ski trip together, and uh, long story short, I ended up in Chattanooga working for Lightspeed and, and um, realized that mountain biking was an awful lot of fun. It had the sense of adventure that maybe other sports were lacking, so that, that's where it started. I think I just moved to the right spot and, yeah. uh, um, and, you know, Chattanooga is a great place to go for long mountain bike rides and, and, um, and that's, that's what, that's how we met was, was doing that and having a big time.
0: Yeah. And uh, so you kind of pretty much evolved to mountain biking just based on the environment you were in and that mm-hmm. it was a big opportunity to, Ride like that,
1: exactly. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and and there was a stint in there for sure where we did adventure racing, and um and I and I'd say that's probably where we learned to that it was that it was fun doing all this together. Yeah. That um and because we adventure raced together, and then after adventure racing, we kind of looked for a, a sport that that we could um you know share the experience together, and and the NUE series. Um, actually, it was kind of a perfect distance for us. It was, you know, I'm probably stronger than her for, for, you know, the first four hours, maybe. And then she comes on in the last, you know, five, six, seven hours. And, and the, the hundred mile format was, was, uh, it really pushed us both. And, um, and so it ended up being, you know, once we stopped adventure racing, as we aged a little bit and, and running, we, you know, the the running didn't treat our bodies quite as well. Um, we saw the, the hundred mile format is something that we could do, uh, almost every weekend, you know, it's not, it's long enough to really put the hurt on you, but then you, you can recover from it almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. So that's, that's how we end up, you know, at this, at this stage.
0: And Brenda, how did you get to where you're at? Um, well, upbringing and everything.
2: Yeah. Well, so I grew up, I was a, a Air Force brat and we moved around a little bit um until my father retired um, from March Air Force Base, which is in Riverside, California. And I was only about 10 years old at the time. So um, fortunately for us girls, I'm the youngest of three girls and my parents um, were also, I get all the adventurous spirit from my parents. They've always been super active and we started doing stuff. Um, I was born in the UP of, of, uh, Michigan and, and before I was even out of diapers, we were taking all day trips out on snowmobiles and, you know, just, just always out doing stuff. So they bought a cabin up in Big Bear, California. Um, when I was just a, a little kid and both my sisters, there's a pretty good gap between me and my two older, older sisters and they got into, really into skiing and and became ski instructors at Snow Summit, the big uh, ski area up there. And so um, they did that all the way through high school and into college and beyond. And then by the time I got through uh, high school was back in the mid 80s and uh, mountain biking was just becoming the big thing. So all the ski instructors started doing the mountain biking thing in the off season. And so when I went to school at UCLA and so I quickly fell into the, uh, um, pattern and, and the love of going up to the mountains on the weekends it, um, and during the summer to start mountain biking. And so my, my middle sister and I got into mountain bike racing at the same time. Uh, so probably in, in like 1988 and, uh, we would just go up there and and uh play around and start racing the circuit and everything. And so then when I moved out to Chattanooga in 93, I uh, immediately Lee and I met about two weeks after we both moved to town and then we started. We were both new to Chattanooga, so we quickly became training buddies. And uh within within a year, we were married and then it became official. So then we did everything together.
0: Yeah. Now did you guys, yeah. did you both start doing, I know besides the adventure racing, I think you guys did in the late nineties, yeah. you know, back in the, when adventure racing was really big, Yeah. but did you guys ever really do like the traditional cross country, you know, hour and a half ish? Yes. Distances? Okay.
2: Yeah. That's what I started out doing. Um, so I started doing all that back in, uh, you know, the eighties, early nineties and, um, you know, Julie Furtado was my first hero, uh, of mountain biking and everything. And so we both did that. I think Lee was a little more, he was, he'd always been a swimmer and a runner. So he, he would do mountain biking, but he'd also do triathlon and road racing. And I never really did any of that, um, until, you know, I met him and then we, and then together we started doing all sorts of things. So we started out, you know, the, how we met was through mountain biking and tra- and then he and I would travel to all the mountain bike races together. So back then it was Norba, you know, right. so yeah. we would travel all around on the weekends doing Norba races. Um But then the more we, you know, we were together, the more we, we did together. So we were traveling, you know, that's when we started, Road racing and we got into running and trail running. We got into triathlon. Then eventually, um, we had friends here who got us into kayaking and rock climbing and then adventure racing and all that stuff. So we, like Lee said, we haven't, um, you know, together we have no voice of reason. So we just, we just do everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up Norba because I've noticed a big pattern of people that I used to race when it was Norba. Um, and then that kind of fell out of it, and then came back to it. But they then they're racing like the quote unquote unsanctioned stuff, uh, the hundred milers and things like that. Yeah. And the the common thing I think is if you remember back to the Norba events, they weren't the short things that um, USA Cycling has evolved them to, where they're you know even for the pro elite guys are racing ninety minutes. I mean right. there were there were some pretty big um, events back then that were longer, forty miles, and so I think but a lot he- of people like. I think they, I don't know. I think they crave those distances. I wish they would come back, Um, but it's it's nice that the NUEs there for that, and that's it's kind of cool to see that you're one of those people that, you know, was doing the wanted to you know did the longer Norva stuff, and now coming back that the the, you know the NUE is is keeping that that distance those longer distance things alive. Yeah, yeah, and
2: it's yeah. funny because we used to—I used to always complain so much at the start line. Like if they would say that the women like were only doing two laps, but the guys were doing three laps, I'd be the one like lobbying for us to do three laps. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah, we do, we literally rode <laughs> centuries. uh Every weekend for a few years, because Brenda would get so burned up when they would when they would say that the guys are going to do you know five laps and the girls are going to do three laps, yeah. she, it would just burn her up. And so so she would re- literally rather go out and ride just like an unsanctioned, not even a race, a century, yeah. just so that she could you know work hard for five or six hours.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think I mean it it's it's kind of cool. I mean um and I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's definitely a growing segment. I mean the NUE's been around for a while certainly, but um to see other series starting to come in, maybe not quite as long as NUE, but um you know, you're also seeing some of the bike packing events becoming bigger. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um which is, you know, that's that stuff's really cool too and it's becoming it's definitely becoming a segment of our sport that we're seeing a lot of talent come to. Yes. Um, and it that's a, I think it's a great thing. Um so let's talk about last season. Mm -hmm. Um, Brenda, you've been sitting kind of in the wings for several years, making, (laughs) now making steady improvements. Um, but you had, there were always like, there was always somebody there at the top and then they would move on and then, you know, then someone else would move in and you were, you were steadily making improvements. I mean, if you go back and look at the events from, you know, four or five years ago, and then look at the same course, like three two years later. You were there and you were obviously making or you know, your, your times were an hour faster. But what do you think where did those improvements come from? Uh do you think what? it's a different way of training or do you think it just took time <laughs> to get to that point?
2: Well, I think, well, okay, first of all, I am married to a coach, so right. I get coached whether I want to or not.
0: She's, <laughs> so, she's nearly uncoachable.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I've been his biggest professional challenge. And he's relatively <laughs> but,
0: inexpensive, I would say, probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. But, um, I've always been, so I'll be the first one to admit, I'm extremely hard-headed. And so I always am like, look, I just want to go out do I want to work hard. Like everything I do, I just want to like push myself as hard as I can and work hard. So that's fine from a, you know, like a fitness standpoint. If you want just pure, you know, like base mileage and and base fitness, that's great. But I was always like... I never wanted to work on things like Lee's the type that if we go and we're riding the single track and we come to a tricky little, you know, rocky section, like an uphill thing where it requires some skill. (laughs) He's, he's the one that wants to sit there and work on it over and over again. And I'm like, dear God, can we just go ride? You know? So I I really think that the biggest breakthrough for me and the improvements that I, 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 made was was just like you said over the past two years or so and that was like two or three years ago i f- i finally gave in and said okay let's spend some time just working on real technical stuff because i honestly the first time i rode at pit at pisgah and the first time we did the pisgah stage race like five years ago i absolutely hated it and i almost had a nervous breakdown and and same thing with Snake Creek. That was about the first, the same timeline where I said, you know, I'm never ever going to ride this again, other than in a race, because I just, I, you know, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is hiking trails, and why would anyone actually enjoy riding this stuff? But but now that's all I crave to do. And and so I think it was just realizing that, you know, yeah, this this is really. Really cool, and it's a lot of fun to ride this stuff when you, you know, allow yourself to develop the skills to actually do it. And and obviously, there's a lot, a ton of riders that are way more skilled than I am. But I really think the big breakthrough was when I I just decided to go ahead and work on those skills, and that made single track riding so much more fun and rewarding. So things like, you know, courses like Shenandoah and Wilderness with all the really technical stuff and True Grit. And, you know, those are the races that I love. And, like, Pierre's Hole with 38 Special, that downhill, you know, it's just I absolutely love those courses because of the technical element. And so um that was just we spent, like, two winters where we would just go out and and ride, like, Little pieces of technical stuff. Even sometimes we'd spend hours just in, you know, a parking lot, like working on skills, going up and down curbs and over obstacles and stuff. And, and that to me was what I think was the biggest, uh, change was just becoming a better technical writer because even, even courses where you wouldn't think that they're necessarily that technical, your, your efficiency, you know, just any time you're on single track, if, if you're a better technical rider, you're just going to um, recognize bit better efficiency and gains overall. And when you're racing 100 miles, you know, little things just over and over and over and over again tend to really
0: add up. Has your training become more specialized toward just doing the 100 milers versus maybe that wasn't exactly what you were doing before? Maybe I, maybe I should ask Lee that. I mean, yeah, say, ma- mm-hmm. yeah, maybe
1: a little bit. You know, the first year we started doing hundred milers, we were still doing trail races. So, like right. the first year we did Mohican, the weekend before it, we had run a trail marathon. You know, which took you know four hours or, or whatever. So, you know, it's easy to look back and say our first year at Mohican. I can't remember times, but let's just say that it took like. You know, ten and a half hours or something, and you could say, "Well, how can you improve?" You know, an hour and a half or, or almost two hours on that. And you know, it's the the weekend prior, we had run our guts out for twenty six miles on trail, and 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 that just goes to you know to that just speaks to to what we enjoy doing. And there's not necessarily any logic to what we do. It's almost as if we we race because we like to train. So I don't know if our, our training has really become more specific. Maybe, maybe a little bit. We've cut out the running.
2: Yeah. And also we tend to be like, we, we don't consider what we do training. Yeah. We honestly, I mean, it sounds, it can sound cheesy and stuff, but we just, everything we do, we do it because that's what we want to do and what sounds like fun. Like, I'm never, and and I'm an, which is kind of weird, I'm an engineer, so my brain is very, like, you know, regimented, and I think very, um, you know, I, I think everything is like a process, but what I, and, and maybe it's because that's what I do for work, that when I'm not working, I don't want any of that. Like, I won't, I, I wear a watch, but I refuse to look at it. I refuse to wear a heart rate monitor. I refuse to use a Garmin. I just... I, I, you know, whatever we do, I just go out and do it and, you know, and we're doing it because it's, we think it's fun and that's what we want to do. So I don't follow any sort of training program or anything. Um, And that's what has worked for me. You know, I know what works for a lot of people is to have a very set program, but I found just, you know, what makes me the happiest is to just, you know, we literally like, Every morning we'll wake up or every afternoon we'll say, like, hey, you know, what do you want to do today? And we'll go, oh, well, let's go ride stringers. And we we go over there and we ride our local trails. Or we'll say, Yeah, you know, let's try a different thing. And And we just, you know, that's what we strive to do is to just follow what seems to be the fun thing to do. And then it all works out. It ends up working out to be good training
0: in the long run. I mean, how much of your training is off-road or riding is off-road? 100%? Um, the,
2: the only reason it's not 100% is because I, I commute by bike okay. to and from work. And so um, in the morning, we end up riding roads just to get over to towards where work is. And then we'll ride some like on a – we have a r- river walk through town. Okay. And we'll ride out and back on that. But then in the afternoons, we hit the local trails every day for a okay. couple of hours. So it's, you know, I guess, I guess if you ask what are, you know, when we go ride, when we say, okay, let's grab our bikes and go ride, we go mountain biking and it's on trails. But then I also happen to ride my bike to and from, to and from work.
0: Regarding racing, um, you both have a very different approach than many or most in these long races. And I'm not going to ask the question yet. I'll bring that up in a little bit. <laughs> Um, But you don't seem to get caught up in the opening miles, the chaos, the senseless match burning, the big efforts to gain inches no matter what. Um, You seem to have a strategy of letting the race come to you, Pacing, Uh pacing really early in the game and then strong throughout. Is that experience or strategy or am I reading that wrong?
1: Uh, you know, uh, I, I think it's, I think oddly enough, it's genetics. I think both of us are built the same. Like, like, even when I played soccer, I was, I was, I was relatively good player, you know, good enough to play for a small college team. But I was probably the slowest person on the team. I just, I relied on other things to, to make the team, you know, maybe skills and, and hard and work endurance. and endurance. You know, so, so I, I guess at the root of it, I think I and, and, and I think Brenda's the same are just like pure endurance athletes. Like, and I, and I know a lot of it is, is that that's what we train for. And we don't, we don't ride, you know, we don't do road groups. We don't do crits. We don't, you know, uh, watch Strava and try to do small segments. We, what we enjoy doing is long riding. So I think, I think genetically we're probably both like pure endurance athletes. And then over the last, um, 20 years of, of riding together. We've, you know, any, any speed that we had in our bodies, we've probably detrained it. And so, even, even though it looks, it, it may look like we have a really calculated, um, strategy to pace ourselves, we're, we're probably going like wide open from the beginning to, to some degree. Well,
2: and I, know. I, I think I've also had, just had a real, like, I've all, I've never really had to think about how to pace myself. I always just kind of do what feels natural. Like at the beginning of a race, I want to be going the same pace that I know that I'll be able to carry eight, nine hours into the race. So if I feel that I'm, you know, my heart rate is way up and I'm working real hard and, you know, I'm pushing myself too hard at the beginning, I know I'm not going to be able to carry that same level 8 hours into it so I'm not going to do that early in the race if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it it does. I mean it's it it, it kind of it's kind of difficult in the NUE events um only because you have these big huge groups, you know, 300, yeah. Yeah. 600, yeah. 700 sometimes. Right. Um and they the NUE, I mean just and it doesn't have anything to do with how hard they want the race to be, but they always put a or nearly always put something that's going to separate the groups. They I mean they can't have seven hundred yeah. people all shooting for a single section, a single track. Mm-hmm. So they always put like generally it's a big, huge, steep hill like Mohican or a long hill like Kohada. Um right. it's very easy for people to burn a whole matchbook of matches yeah. in the first two miles of the race. Right. And, and often you do. You see that and you see it and it causes bottlenecks further up and gaps to appear and that's that's exactly the way the NUE I mean, a lot of these races evolve, but you guys never seem to seem to have that happen. I mean, the perfect example is last weekend. I mean, you were sitting fourth, fifth place some at some point, um, at Bailey. Right. Um, and then the race came back to you. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and at altitude, which that's definitely not, wasn't expected. Um,
2: but. Yeah. And you know what's funny about that whole we and don't think that we haven't had a million discussions about the altitude thing. Um, for me, I, I can't explain, and I can't speak for Lee at all. But for me, it's really weird. Like you know, I well again, I grew up in Riverside, California, but we went up to Big Bear every single weekend. I skied or biked every weekend all through my childhood and and through college and and the few years beyond before I moved out here. But so maybe I got used to going from you know a thousand feet up to sixty five seven thousand feet you know every weekend and just you know we'd go up Friday afternoon have a race on Sunday on Saturday come back Sunday you know I did that a ton of times so I don't know if any of that can kind of carry over throughout the years but um the but for for whatever reason I can. I've I've been very fortunate to be able to just kind of come out and do a race that's anywhere from you know six seven eight even up to nine thousand feet, but above ten thousand feet, I'm pretty much useless. Right. So like Breckenridge, you know, after like fifty five NUE races, the only one I've Ever not finished, you know, I'll knock on wood right now. Um, to this point is Breckenridge, and that was because I got al- altitude sickness.
0: Right. Yeah, so, I, mean, I can, I can definitely understand. Um, it's probably likely not a physiologic thing because I mean, obviously, you're not training at altitude, you're not, you know, I mean, fitness is, is a great thing, but you, because of your experience, it sounds like it may be more psychological. You know how your body's going to feel because you've exactly. done it so many times.
2: Yeah. And, you know, at Bailey, it was a perfect example. And so I raced Bailey the same way I raced Pierre Sol the same way I raced Big Bear is that I know that the altitude, you know, so not only do you have a long race with um, a lot of climbing, but you're also at altitude. So that even makes it more in my mind that when the gun goes off, I'm going to go off at a pace that feels very, Reasonable to me and I don't even, I don't even attempt to, to figure out like who's ahead, who's behind, you know, what place I'm in. And I just keep riding at whatever feels like I can manage and that I can carry throughout the whole event. And then, you know, most of the time you end up kind of figuring out what's going on, you know, halfway through or, you know, towards the end of the race. And the, you know, the one thing that helped is that, um, I ended up after the first lap, ca- uh, catching Amanda and then the two of us, um, kind of went back and forth and rode together for a little bit. So we, we, you know, together we figured out and knew what was going on in the race. And, you know, she was super strong on, she's such a great technical rider and a great descender and just all around amazing mm-hmm. rider. Um, but I was having a, a better time on the climbs that day. So when we hit the the very last climb, we knew that there were two women ahead of us, Marley and Liz, and they're they're super strong. and but I had been feeling good on the climb. So as soon as we hit the bottom of that last climb, I was like, okay, here we go, you right. know and and I just I knew that we had that one big climb left. And I've, I was feeling good, and, you know, I knew that I could um, just kind of leave it all on that last climb. And, and, you know, when you're coming from behind, the more you, you, you know, you get that – huge ah! boost when you see people ahead of you and so that just kind of build upon itself through the event and then when i finally caught liz we were just you know three or four miles from the finish and i was like i'm going to completely turn myself inside yeah. out to stay ahead at this point so. yeah,
0: i think i think if um whether you know it or not your approach is very different than most um, having right. talked to a lot of people after races or talked to them before the race, what their goals are and things like that, a lot of it is in regards to their competitors. And that's not something that you're talking about here. You're talking about, you know, I'm going to do this race as fast as I can, the way I feel I need to do it. To do it in the fastest time possible. Um other competitors are looking more at it from I want to keep this person in sight until we get to this point, or I wanna I wanna make sure that I once I see them, I need to pull them back in and catch them. I mean that it's a very different you have a very different perspective than most of the other women or even even the men for that exam for that reason. Um they definitely have a perspective on that. So
2: Yeah. And I think again, it's just, you know, um we've been doing I I've been doing it so long, Lee's been doing it so long. Um, that we just have you know I found out what works for me and I'm I'm (laughs) hard-headed enough not to change that you know at this point so uh, it's you know fortunately a lot of times it works but I know I just know from personal experience that the times that I have felt like you know oh I'm gonna you know mark so-and-so or I'm gonna try to be up in the front pack it's never worked out for me because I always end up you know, the, there's been actually two Cohutta races that I've totally blown up and just, you know, consider myself lucky to be able to finish the race. And and that was because in the very early stages, I was battling it out with other people, you know, 10, 15 miles into a 100-mile race. And afterwards, I'd look back and go, why was I racing? You know, why was I trying to keep people... You know, stay, get ahead of people 10 miles into the race when, you know, we had 90 miles to go. And, and, you know, those experiences were, uh, just, you know, I learned a lot from that. And, and, you know, since then I've just stuck to my guns and just kind of raced how I, I, you know, what I feel works best for me. Um, so. Okay,
0: so let's um, let's get to the the question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Strategy, perhaps, or perhaps not. But you guys ride together nearly start to finish. We do. Occasionally separating in the final miles, um, but more often than not. Start to finish. Um, yes. Is this a tactic that has evolved from adventure racing, or is this a almost from a support thing or a pacing thing or something else entirely? How does that work?
2: Well, I think, so first of all, I'll say it's not a support thing at all other than maybe moral support. Right. Um, I know what it looks like and we both know what it looks like and, and it's an obvious thing to think that, oh, he follows her around so that he can... You know, give her water, help her out. Well, not, I was actually
0: thinking you know, it was said. you following him around to give him water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's, that's closer to
1: the truth. Because, you know, if you look at, if you look at last year's, uh, I had only a 50% success rate of, of staying with her last year. Yeah. Like she dropped me at, at Bailey, Big Bear, uh, Pierce Hole. Um, I stayed with you at Fool's Gold, Mohican.
2: Kind of the common. Uh, you dropped me at Cajada. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. It. Yeah. And,
1: and you know, this is it, the the way we met was on um, on local rides here in town to where we'd finish in the same group back when we were road riding. Yeah, that's actually how we met because um, we'd finish in the group, and I'd be like, "Oh, who's that girl?" You know, and I'd start talking to her, and so um, uh, you know, we we had similar abilities, right. and then of course now after training for together for twenty years, it gets closer and closer. and and ability and
2: and again we you know we have we've we've been fortunate that we literally we do everything together so we met in july of 1993 so it's been 22 years now and pretty much from day one we've been you know joined at the hip and doing things together so um, there's still that disparity on the shorter distance stuff, like you know it was the same trail running and and running as with mountain biking that on the short stuff, you know the two three four hour stuff Lee has more power and he's able to go harder for for that kind of time period, so you know on Running races, you know, we, we never did them together just because he, he was so much faster. I mean, he could run one to two minutes a, a mile faster than I could. And then that was kind of carried over to the same thing with mountain biking. But then when we did the long distance stuff, we, when we first started doing it, we would, we would say, okay, we'll do our own pace and we would start out harder than I would and he'd be ahead of me. And then sure enough, after four or five hours, I would catch him and then he would struggle to stay with me for the last part of the race. And so one perfect example of how evenly matched we were was a fool's gold about probably five years ago. I got some stomach bug the night before the, or the day before the race. And that whole night, I, you know, I couldn't keep food down and I was thinking, I told him in the morning when we woke up, I said, look, you know, I I feel like I could ride, but the thing of it is, is I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep any food down. And obviously, if I can't eat, you know, I'm not going to be able to ride for nine or ten hours. So, we our strategy, you know, at the beginning, we did what we always do, and we start off at the at the same pace. And and then after like 30 minutes, I said, you know, look, I'm not feeling it. Go ahead and do your own thing. So he took off ahead of me. And then I was able to kind of settle into a pace and fortunately was able to start taking in food. So I started riding harder and harder. And so after like nine and a half hours of racing, I came across the finish line three minutes behind him.
0: Yeah.
2: And so that was, and so that was probably the time where we realized, you know, God, we were, we were so evenly together that, you know, I think Lee developed the strategy that even if he feels like he could go harder earlier in the race, that he's better off if he just lets me set the pace and stays behind me because after, you know, halfway through the race, I'll be the one pushing the pace and then he uses me to help him, you know, carry that same pace through the end. Yeah. So now it's really, I think it's helped, you know, this is an exciting year for us because he's turned 50. So now he's in the 50 plus category and and he's chasing podium spots as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's fun now because we both go in races, you know, looking for, for what we can do in our categories. Yeah.
0: Um, have you guys ever thought about going um, to Europe? Um And doing some of the duo stage racing over there that seems to be you know the big thing over there they they race you know where the the duos have to stay within three or five minutes of each other throughout the stage transalp uh Cape epic things like that. Have you ever thought about doing something like that? It's not really big in the United States, but it's huge over there.
2: We actually have done a little bit of that we've um and and we've always thought about that that it would be perfect for us to do the team thing where yeah. you do have to stay together. Um, but, like you said, it's not that big in the u s so there aren't many um venues for it. but we did actually do um the tour of andalusia, the okay. race in Spain yeah um we did that let's see two to, th- to three years ago okay and um <laughs> uh so that was you know that was shaping up to be a great event for us um through the first day. And what happened there was I ended up getting food poisoning oh. <laughs> that first night. And uh, so I basically, so again, I was too stubborn to, like, drop out of the race. But we spent the next, you know, five days just kind of racing at my my pace with me, you know, just basically a major peak fest for the whole thing. So um, we, even though that type of thing is, is perfect for us, again, we we just – I think our big thing is we just like to have adventures. So we don't really, um, we don't really follow certain other than the NUE series for that. For us, that one has really been our big thing. I think it, it feels like just a perfect thing for both of us. But beyond that, we just kind of, we want to go and just explore and, and, you know, kind of do the whole life's just a big adventure thing. So you know we ski during the winter and we love to travel around and and the, and and again even with within the NUE um we do the races that are just kind of seem like the biggest adventure that's why we go out and do all the races out west because right. those are the big trips and those are the most fun for us from an adventure standpoint
1: yeah
0: so which, which actually was my next question is how do you guys choose your races because you you going out and showing up and racing Bailey was completely unexpected. You know, I mean, as someone who's leading the NUE and, you know, attempting to, I would imagine, attempting to win the second, you know, uh, back-to-back title in the series, um, right. you, going out, racing at altitude against, you know, competitors who are living at altitude versus that same weekend uh, racing in Michigan. Right. Yeah. I never expected it. When I saw your results, I'm like, what's she doing there? (laughs) I guess I guess there's there's no logic
1: to it actually. The we look we look at the courses that we think are gonna be the 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 most fun and look at the trips that are gonna be the most fun. Just like this weekend we're going to South Dakota and you know, what a what a cool event. We're gonna start at Mount Rushmore. We're gonna do um uh, like 80. eighty-five miles of single track. I mean, that's that's going to be crazy, and um, and you know, sure, it's a it's a big trip, but fortunately with us, the big trip is part of the adventure. You know, we don't look at you know flying to Denver and then driving you know four hours to Sturgis as as like a, a drudgery. It, we look at it as because it's, a two, you know, we're lucky, obviously. We're lucky. It's just the two of us and, and um and we realize that we're lucky. But, you know, it's just a, a big adventure and we would have probably, we would have never, I've never been to South Dakota. Brenda had never been to South Dakota. Yeah. You know, so the series took us to South Dakota and um and now, you know, this will be our third trip there and we're super psyched about being able to make the trip. So there's, so there's no real logic to, to it, just just the same, you know, just like we'll stack NUES back to back sometimes. Like this year, we're going to do Pierce uh, um, right. Hole and then the next weekend uh, Rincon. And is it is it the is it the best strategy for performance? I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it it it's not even something we consider because we're looking at opportunity of having you know two amazing trips and to do you know some really fun um riding
2: so 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 i think the the you know the in a nutshell we do um we don't look at it from a strategy standpoint because you know and we've had these conversations too it's it's funny the way it is you know you can do a race where you look at who's who's signed up and you're like oh my god there's 40 people you know 40 people in my category signed up and, and then there's another race the same day and there might only be three people signed up, but it always ends up, you know, the, the competition at the high level, it always seems to be the same, regardless of how big the field is. So it, you can agonize to death over strategy and, you know, should I be doing this race or should I be doing that race? So whenever we find ourselves doing that, we're like, look, what sounds like the most fun for us to do? And we'll go, You know, so we did the exact same thing on the whole lumberjack and Bailey thing, and we asked ourselves, you know, you know, well, which way should we do? Which would be better? And then we just, you know, after a couple of minutes, we were like, "What do we want to do? Sounds like what sounds like the most fun?" And we were like, "Going out to Colorado seems like the most fun, so let's go out and do it." And and you know, that's what we did.
1: Yeah, only only because we've done lumberjack a few times, and it seemed like something different. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, yeah. but
0: you know. yeah, and, yeah. I mean, and you, and you as the defending champion. I mean, you get a chance to go to all these different events. It's right. It's got to be kind of cool to be able to, you know, pick and choose the events.
1: Oh, and, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's get out of from from talking about you guys specifically, but let's talk about where you guys see the National Ultra Endurance Series evolving. Um, not necessarily from a race standpoint, but more from a competitor standpoint. The competition I think is really increasing like across the board. Top competitors are starting to make it a focus versus something that was kind of like a, you know, something else to do. Um, right. and, and it's, it's happening across all the divisions, not just the open men, which the open men is always the biggest division by far, but you see a lot more people competing in the masters divisions and the, the single speed divisions. And it's not just because the masters division people are aging into it. You see people coming to it. Who are already masters? Maybe have never done uh, the NUE. What do you guys right. think? Do you think it's um, do you think people are coming to the NUE because it's not USA Cycling, or do you think it's because it's a bigger challenge? I mean, what do what do you think? What what do you see the growth? Why do you think the growth is happening there?
1: You know, um, I'll, I'll just say I'll just talk briefly,
0: and then I'll let Brenda yeah say what she thinks. Well, it's, no, certainly from you, a co- coaching perspective, yeah. you've got a great uh, yeah. You know, you've got people that are probably wanting to train for these events.
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm I'm definitely seeing that. You know, my hope for the series is, is that it remains fun and 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 you can you can always go to Shenandoah and camp out beforehand and nobody takes, you know, like everybody races their guts out when the gun goes off, but prior and after that, you know, what what I hope is is that that it remains really fun and and somewhat lighthearted and right. and, a, and a, a sense of adventure. The the moment it, it all becomes you know too serious, it will be the time that we probably look for something else. And and I, I don't mean that it can't be a, a great, well organized series. I just mean that you know, you know I, what appeals to me, and I think Brenda as well, is is that it's you know grassroots. It's um you know it's 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 a bunch of people trying to have a have or having a good time and then having a beer afterwards and and being willing yeah. to camp and and that sort of thing so 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 yeah, I think there's definitely room for uh you know for a lot of great competition and and I just hope that it you know stays in the same spirit and and the my and the and the races continue to be a hundred miles and they've continued to be so difficult that it that it keeps you awake the night before the race, (laughs) you know, because that's, that's they're pretty scary. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons why we don't talk much about competition is because honestly, you know, I think every race scares us a little bit, right? Like, like you, you wonder if like how in the world you're going to, get through the
2: thing well and i think that's the other thing too is is you know people especially now that i've had a little bit of of success people go oh what are you thinking you know how do you think this you know this is going to work out this weekend And i'll be like look my number one goal is to just finish this thing and everyone's like ah that's bs you know you know Mm -hmm. you know you have some other agenda and of course it's great to you know, to be competitive and all that. But honestly, I mean, I am not lying. When I line up at the start of a race, all I'm thinking about is just getting to the finish because we've done so many of them. And it's almost like the thought of them gets harder and harder and harder because you know how much suffering is going to be involved. You know how long it's going to be. You know how much it's going to hurt. So... I just, you know, you can, I think the biggest mistake you could ever make when you line up for an NUE race is to think of anything else than just finishing it. Because it's a, it's a monumental challenge. I mean, it is, of all the races we've done, we've done everything from, you know, running races, road cycling, you know, adventure racing, triathlon of any distance from sprint up to Ironman and all that. I mean... The 100-mile mountain bike race is what I consider to be the hardest event to to do in my opinion. And that's probably one the main reason why I love it so much is because it's been the biggest challenge and the biggest reward uh, for me and for us together.
0: Yeah. I think I so, mean I think I think going back to what Lee said with you know I hope it can, remains fun um and I'm sure Lee in, in his head is thinking what I'm about to say, but he's not saying it because he's so polite. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't have the posturing. It doesn't have the attitude yeah. of road racing right. um, where everyone's, you know, look at, the, look at the fast bike I've got and posturing on the trainer prior to the crit. And it just doesn't have that feel where your race is over, you leave, you care less what happens the rest of the day. And that's not the case. Right. I mean, I've, I've seen the top competitors in all the divisions cheering on the guy that is finishing 14, 15 hours. Um, oh, yeah. And everybody does that, clapping for them. That would yep. never happen in road races, ever.
2: Well, and that's why I quickly, that's why I have a, have a really, really short road racing career. Cause I did a little bit of it and I just didn't, it just didn't fit. Yeah, with And, I, me. I mean, and honestly,
0: so, I mean, I think if everybody is honest about um, the NUA and the 100 mile racing is, is that the 100, the way I look at 100 mile races, when people ask me, you know, what's the racing like? And I, I don't think it's, there's certainly the guys at the top of the open men. There is serious racing going on there for the majority of the race. There's tactics evolving. There's things like that going on. But I think for the rest of the field, you're certainly racing, but you're, it becomes you versus the, the course much more than you versus all your competitors. And I think that is, that's the perspective that keeps it fun because you can go back to that same course the next year and you still have the same competition, which is the course. Not everybody else has shown up for it. Yep. 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 Um, Let's talk um, the women's field um, okay. in these events. Uh, like it or not, you are the NUE Series champion, <laughs> and you've kind of become a bit of a spokesperson for the sport as being the current champion and the current leader. Um, what do we need to do to grow the women's field? Because there hasn't been, I mean, if we talked about the growth, you know, the single speed division, master's division, some of the master's divisions, sometimes 80 to 100 guys in these divisions. Right. What do we have to do? I mean, the competition is certainly there. You've got women coming into the the division that are competing for the top slots that perhaps weren't even in um, the uh NUE last year, which is great. Right. But the fields are not growing at the same rate as the others. What do we need to do to bring that? You know, to increase the number of people that are coming to to do the events.
2: Well, I think, for, first of all, you know, the the format itself is, I, I think, um, lends itself to limiting the field, and and you know, which. It's just, it's an extremely hard and long event, and I'm not saying women, I'm certainly not saying women aren't up to that challenge, but it's it's mountain biking, it's a lot of single track technical riding, and most of the events are um, mass start, you know, you said it before where you're lining up, you know, you've got three, four, five, six hundred people, and you know, the women are right there with the men, and, you know, there's a lot of, not to sound sexist or anything, but there's a whole lot of testosterone bubbling around at the beginning of an of an event, and it can be a very intimidating thing. Um, I know I, I struggle with it a lot, you know, especially the first couple hours of a race is, you know, there's... Every it, it seems like everyone's racing for the you know second or third aid station, and you know it, it can be tough to kind of deal with. And I think women, you know, when when you're in a field of just women, you know, I've done a lot of women's only triathlons and and other events, and it's just an entirely different atmosphere. You know, everyone's like cheering each other on and you know oh you go first no you go first you know oh you're you know you're doing so great and stuff and it's just it's it's a different atmosphere and I think for some women who come into it who've never done you know who've never really been into you know hardcore mountain biking it can be extremely intimidating as for what to do to change that, I don't know that you really can, um, because again, it's not like you can have waves that go off, you know, every, you can't, you can't separate people because it it's just such a a long event. But I think just, I I think the best way to, um, to have it grow is to just keep having people that, you know, that the group of, of girls and women that I've Gotten to know and just be good friends with are amazing. And I would have never, I would have never ever in my life crossed paths with them if it weren't for the NUE series and, and these races. And I think just keep building that community. And, um, you know, like every time, every year, there's new people, new women that come in. And I think for people like myself who have been there, a lot of it is on us to encourage you know, the people that, you know, keep showing up to the events and keep, you know, just stick with it and have fun is the, is the best way for it to grow. Cause I, I know that, you know, at the end of the race, the people I'm looking for to, to sit and have a beer with and laugh and joke about are the ones that I've been racing my guts out against for the last, you know, eight hours. And, and I think we all feel like we have a good friendship and a good relationship and, in my opinion, that's the best way to keep things growing is to just keep building upon that.
0: Uh, Lee, from a coaching perspective and talking to athletes, is there a hurdle there for women competing at long distance mountain bike races, or is it just um, something that, for some reason, it just exists and that's we have to kind of be accepting of that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, it seems like we we've been you know Brenda and I started doing this independent of each other you know I got my first mountain bike in 85 or something like that and and you know have been off and on with it since then and it seems like it's always been this way you know we did uh local races here and and the women's field was always small although you know I guess I guess I look at the NUE more as a success than I do um anything else in terms of women's field you know if you look at the women's field it, at a race like Lumberjack, uh Shannon Noah, right. um, Bailey—they're—they're definitely some that stick out to where I would consider that to have you know pretty decent sized women's fields. So, um I, you know, I—I I guess I guess the, the the race directors need to always be conscious of it. You know what the where the cutoffs are. You know we need to make sure that 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 the field you know that you can have of uh, a field, a decent sized field, that you don't cut off half of your half of your women's field at some middle aid station cutoff. You know, so I, I guess if you just, you know, if you I hate that you use USA Cycling, but I'm sure if you look at their registered members, it's probably like eighty percent men. You know, and right. and um, and so my 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 feeling is is that the NUE does a, a decent job. I mean you know it's a it's a pretty silly distance and well,
2: know. and I think the other thing too is is you know and, and this isn't a necessarily a men and women thing is is treat all the competitors with the same um you know everyone's out there for their own personal reward and challenge, and so you gotta make sure from the very first finisher to the very last finisher that it's a rewarding experience you know and and you and you so you have to make sure that you know, that the aid stations are stocked from start to finish and that when you get to the finish line that, you know, there's still people there cheering you on and encourage you on and and that there's food for you at the end and drink for you and all that stuff because nothing's worse than coming in. You know, you've been killing yourself for 12, 14 hours and you cross the line and and you can barely get to the finish line because everyone's Driving past you on their way home, and then you go to get food, and they're like, Oh, sorry, you ran out of food two hours ago, and you know, there's no beer left, and and you know, everyone just kind of is is gone. I mean, what's the what's going to make you come back after an experience like that? Right. So, and fortunately, with the NUI series, the races are just top notch events. I mean, Mohican and then Chris's races, Shenandoah and, and Wilderness. Bailey, you know, that when we crossed the finish line, there was a band playing, you know, there were five people like pointing us towards the beer wagon and food and, you know, and, and there was a nice creek there to cool down in and, you know, just a great atmosphere. And I think I think that's a, a really important thing is just make it make it a whole event, not just about the race. Like make it something
0: that people are going to want to be a part of. Yeah, I, I think the I think, I, mean, I think the NUE has done a fabulous job at, in equity of men and yeah. women. All actually all the divisions for that matter. Um, yep. you know The person who's winning the open men's is getting almost the exact same prizes as the guy that's winning the fifty plus. Yep. Most of it is in product, but that's fine. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, right? Um, you know, I think I think off road endurance racing has actually done more for that equity than all the other forms. Um, with the whiskey 50, for example, giving the exact same prize purse, $15,000, um, prize purse for the women's 50 mile event as the men's 50, 50 mile event. So that, you know, I think regardless, I think the endurance off-road racing has done a fabulous job for making equity. Um, right. and I think that, I think it's a growing segment. And I think, I think promoters are starting to realize, um, whether they're inside or outside of endurance off-road racing, that that may be the way to continue to grow the sport or to grow whatever sport they're in, whether that's cyclocross or road racing or things like that. But there needs to be equity. If You want to attract more people needs to be equity. And that's not just in the prizes, but in the way you treat the racers. And, yep. and I think you guys are spot on with that. Um, let's talk about Lee's coaching business. Um, Lee, how long have you been coaching? I started the business when we moved to Wisconsin. What was that? Like 2006. 2006. Yes.
1: 2006. And, um, and at the time, we were hot and heavy with triathlon, and it and it started primarily as a triathlon coaching business. And then as our interest changed, I switched it more. It changed the name to Semeral Multi-Sport Coaching, and uh, it started to include more trail runners. And then it's kind of morphed into more mountain biking uh athletes now and um and it's great it's it's online i do i send out workouts through training peaks and uh you know i'm a little bit old school you know i think i think if you get a few things right you'll get most of you'll get 98% of what you're going to get out of the sport you know you get your race weight right you you train the right number of hours you have good nutrition you get good sleep um you, you accomplish those things you're gonna get most of what you're gonna get out of yourself and 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 try not to have my athletes fret over the 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 small things that sometimes people teams you know can get consumed by so uh and and i and and you know my goal for my athletes are to have a have a great time uh make it sustainable for them year after year so that their families are happy with it. You know, I, I rarely work with people that have a one-year goal. Um, so I, do, I do some of that, but but primarily, I'm I'm really trying to encourage people to make it part of their lifestyle and and something that they can continue on. And you know, just like for us, you know, I'm 50, Brenda's 48. I hope we're doing this for 10 or 20. I mean, don't 40
2: more more <laughs> years. I mean,
1: I, you know, I feel I'm 50, but I feel probably 20. So when I'm, when I'm 70, how am I going to feel? I don't really know, but, but you know, I I try to convey that to, to my athletes that they can make it part of their lifestyle and, and have a lot of fun and still get most of the performance that they're going to get out of themselves, even if they, they fret it over a lot of smaller things.
0: Yeah. Uh, You should petition Ryan for a 70 plus division. You start now
1: right. but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, can, I can hang in there another 20 years yeah, Anna. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, let's talk about both you guys race for motor mile racing um, yes. and you have quite a few number of people that really support you guys so I'm, i want to give you guys an opportunity um that allows lee to compete you know right up there on the podium especially this year in the 50 plus um and brenda defending champion giving it another go this year and certainly hitting the podium more often than not, it seems. So who are your sponsors?
2: So, so as you said, motor mile racing is our team and they're, um, (laughs) It's just, it's a perfect fit for us because again, we're just all about having fun and just getting the most out of life and, and, and what we do. And so the team really started from just a bunch of guys who like to go out and ride mountain bikes and do long races and drink beer. And, um, and then when we moved back into town in, uh, 2008, after, you know, two years being up in Wisconsin, we came back to Chattanooga and, um, Lee just happened to see a post on uh uh the one of the community websites where a guy was looking for someone to ride up to Mohican with and, and we were like, Oh Mohican, that sounds like fun, you know, and, and um so we talked to him and his name was Brad Cobb and uh it ended up being Brad and Justin Mace and Justin's wife Amy and, and Lee and I And we traveled up there, and we spent the entire time just laughing and having the best time. And we all did the race, and we just, for hours and hours and hours, you know, after the race and the whole way back home, we just told stories about the adventure and all that stuff and um brad was pretty much the organizer of the team and so the next year we were wearing motor mile racing kits and it's been that way ever since and and we've never you know looked back it's just and in fact today we went out on a ride with with guys on the team and that and we travel together and we do all the events together and it's and, and again it's just all about having fun and having a good time so we're um, fortunate enough to be sponsored by Trek Bicycles and so we all get amazing bikes to ride. Um and and uh they've just you know, they've taken such good care of us. So I had um, you know, I think a lot of people know we had a bad car accident um back in April and I had my brand new I've never gotten like the, you know, the just top you know with all the bells and whistles and everything you could possibly get on a bike never in my entire career of all this racing and everything i've never gotten like the bike but i did this year and i had ridden it like Two times and we were on our way for, uh, for the six hours of Warrior Creek race and got hit by a car and flipped our, our little sprinter van. And my bike, my, my bike ended up on the opposite side of the interstate. And, you know, so needless to say, it was pretty much destroyed. But, you know, a couple of weeks later, even before I was ready to ride it, Trek and our team, um, had gotten us, gotten me a brand new bike to ride. So um it, you know we we've been extremely fortunate to have such good uh backing
0: yeah yeah you guys had um quite a few s- that was probably your biggest setback this year um were you, do you think do you think it was just patience in in being able to come back to um you know back to the level you you want to be at
2: I, I think it was patients, but maybe some inpatients too, because um we just, we're always, everything we do is just, you know, we, we just, we thrive on being as active as humanly possible. So, you know, we were on our way up to do the race, obviously couldn't do the race. I ended up being in the hospital over the weekend, and we were actually going to stay with Lee's sister, who has a place up in Boone, North Carolina and their teachers and so they had that week off for spring break so we were like well let's just continue on up there that you know sounds like a, as good a place as any to to rehab so we got a rental minivan and drove on up there and spent the week up in the up in the cabin and every day we were out like you know Hiking up the ski areas and <laughs> <laughs> hiking around the neighborhood, you know, and they were all holding me so I didn't slip and fall on any ice patches and stuff. But pretty much from the day I walked out of the hospital, we were just as active as possible. Yeah. And I think just keeping a high level of activity it makes your your body, you know, heal itself um, quickly. And and so you know, honestly, I was I was back on a, a bike. Riding within a couple of weeks, Um, you know, mountain biking off road, obviously, you know, um, it took a a little bit longer. But um, so I think just just listening to your body and, and, you know, letting yourself recover. That's kind of what it's been like for for me since laruta last year i've just had a lot of illnesses and and had um, shingles which was the absolute worst experience that was that's the it's just the spawn of the devil that's the worst thing you could ever possibly have in my opinion and um and then you know the flu and two days three days before True grit. I had a horrible case of bronchitis set in. And so that race was all about just getting to the finish line. I did the entire race with my pocket full of cough drops and just kept the cough dropped in my mouth the whole race. And, and then of course the accident and and all that. So, um, you know, but, it, but again, we just every time we have what could be considered a setback, we just turn to what we love and and what makes us happy, and it all works out for the best in the end.
0: Yeah. It seems like it's so much easier to come back from injury or setbacks um, when you have the perspective that you have, which is, I just want to get back and do things. And you truly mean that. Yeah. I just want to get back outside. I just want to get outside and hike. I want to get outside and ride my bike versus maybe someone who is, um, Look, looks at it more from the uh, very strict regimented competitor where I need to train because I have this race coming up. Yeah, um, it's a right. much different, it's a much different perspective when I, I I, hate, I can't stand being in this house. I can't stand sitting on this couch anymore. I get <laughs> I need to get out and do something. It's a much, it's much easier to come back around because you, you just want to get out and do the stuff you really, truly love. And that you, I mean, that, that you live for really. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. we, and Brenda thank you very much for being on the last aid station um it's really been a pleasure um this has been great um, to talk to you guys to hear everything that's gone on how you've come into the sport um and your perspectives on things is really 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 cool um thank you very much <laughs> thank well you, thank you
2: Mark we 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 uh, we love listening to your show and we've wanted to be able to talk to you for a yeah. long time so yeah. it's a uh, great it opportunity great. um
0: and um i will put If it's all right with you guys, I'm going to put um, all all your contact information and especially for Lee's um, coaching services and things like that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, has questions, perhaps wants to use Lee as their coach, which I would highly recommend as I know several people. um, I would too. um, Yeah. (laughs) Probably won't get as inexpensive as Brenda gets it. But (laughs) um, so thank you guys very much for being on Mountain Bike Radio. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thanks,
0: Mark. Uh, Happy 4th of July.
2: Yeah, thanks. Okay. <laughs> okay see
0: you, Mark. Yeah. Bye. Two of the coolest people you will meet in this sport. Seemingly always with a treasure chest of stories to tell and homebrew to share. Some of the most approachable competitors and fellow athletes you will find. Thank you for joining me here on The Last Aid Station as we continue to bring you all the stuff that's fit to report. And maybe even some that's not worth the space on your hard drive. You keep listening and we'll keep bringing you the race info, the highlights, and the interviews on the movers and shakers in our sport. If you guys have tips on someone you want me to interview or races you want me to find out how the race was won and how it all shook out, drop me a line, mark at mountainbikeradio.com or over at the last aid station on Facebook. Also, continue to spread the word of what we're doing here. We are a pretty close tribe, us endurance mountain bike racers. If you like what you hear, let people know about it. Share the links on Facebook with your friends and your competitors. So thanks again for listening. Stay safe, but rip it when you can. And I hope to see you at the races really soon. Take care.